This is Coda Radio, episode 128 for November 17th, 2014. Hi, everyone, and welcome to Coder Radio, Jupiter Broadcasting's weekly talk show taking a pragmatic look at the art and business of software development and related technologies. This episode is brought to you by our two fine sponsors, DigitalOcean and Linux Academy. I'll tell you more about those great sponsors as this here show goes on. My name is Chris, and joining me every single week is our excellent host, established way out on the East Coast, Mr. Michael Dominic. Hey there, Michael. Let's see, PowerShell... <laughs> I'm sorry. Whoa, oh, hey, oh are morning. you uh, just writing some uh, awesome PowerShell scripts over there? You know, I'm just reveling in the latest of open source technology. <laughs> the best that open source has to offer, I'm the told. Best, this is some of the best open source I've ever seen. Well, uh, guess what we're going to be talking about today, ladies and gentlemen. Episode 128 kilobytes of Coda Radio here, representing midway through November with a huge announcement last week after Coda Radio got off the air. Microsoft decided to wait for us, I guess. They wanted to give us a week to process, is what it was. Nice of them. And uh, they announced that they are open sourcing major components of .NET. We're going to talk about that today. It's been one of the uh, biggest topics in the Jupyter Broadcasting community for the last week. So, uh, And I'm really looking forward to what Mr. Dominic has to say about it. We got a uh, special blog post from his close personal friend, Miguel Itacaza, the guy behind Mono. We're going to talk about what it's going to mean for the Mono project. And... Uh, We'll walk away maybe uh, all hating Chris a little more. No, I'm kidding. I don't. I don't I'm not going to be that guy today. But, <clears throat> Mr. Dominic. Oh! Hey, Mr. Dominic, before we go too far. I mean, this is totally your call, you know. Uh, you can reject, but I got myself a new gadget. I got a new toy. It's not a toy. It is not a toy, uh, IRS. This is a uh, sophisticated and important piece of business equipment that I purchased. <clears throat> so yesterday... And uh, you you t- you tell me if you don't want to hear the story. But yesterday, I uh, I said on the Linux Action Show, I'm thinking about buying a Surface Three. Yes. And you could probably guess. Uh, it turns out um, when you're the host of the Linux Action Show, your card is taken away that allows you to buy anything from Microsoft. So uh, you can probably guess how some people reacted. But I started to think about it. So here's what I, here's where I was at. Is here in the studio. I have this workspace, and uh, I have a spot where I have my Bonobo laptop. And I was sitting here one day and I was thinking, man, I'd have a lot more room to work here if the Bonobo was just a screen. And then I started thinking about, well, wait a minute. Like, that's kind of what the Surface 3 is, right? It's a computer that's just the screen. I could even get the dorky kickstand and use a small portable uh, keyboard that would just take up a little bit of room. So I started looking at maybe going with the Surface 3 right here and I talked about you know I mentioned on Linux Action Show that I was looking for feedback on how it works because I know I've heard from a few folks in the audience that are using it with Linux even a couple of developers then started talking with the chat room and they're like well what about putting like a System76 rig under the table and then going with a reclinable monitor here on the on the desk and started looking at my different options Last night, after business hours, I ordered a Dell touchscreen. I'm going to go grab it, so I'm going to step away here for a sec. And I'm going to show if you're watching the, uh, if you happen to be watching the video version, I'm 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 holding it up right now, and it is a, it's a Dell monitor. And this is really slick. It's a 21.5 inch, and they also have a 23 inch model. 
It uh, hooks right up to uh, your machine. It's got a nice touch screen, nice high resolution with a good touch screen. So if you have any apps you're developing that require touch screen support, this has it. It connects as a USB device. But the coolest thing about this screen is it has a really nice metal stand, and you can <clears throat> pull it out, and you can fold it down almost almost flat. Not quite. Not really. It's, it's at an incline, but it's really nice. It takes up less room than the laptop does, and it's a good touch panel that I got from Dell. Now, here's the crazy part. I ordered this Dell panel last night from Amazon after I got done doing the Linux Action Show, after business hours, I ordered this, and it showed up on my door this morning, like before I even got to the studio. So now I have a new touchscreen that I'm going to be doing some, some testing with, and it's a, wait, it wait. looks really nice. Wait, so what happened to the Surface? I decided not to go with the Surface. I'm going to go this way and hook it up to a rig under the desk. You bowed to the peer pressure. Well, it's just this is cheaper, too. You know, this is only 280 bucks versus a whole Surface. I thought you were going to tell me that you're starting the Windows Action Show. <laughs> you know, hey, speaking of that, then we'll get into the show. And then, I'm sorry about this. Your buddies over at Google did a DMCA takedown of the Windows Action Show that we, where we reviewed Windows 8. Did they really? Why? Yeah, they did a Google. So they pulled, they pulled that, that episode from the Google Index. Why? Copyright violation. I don't know of what nature. It says, it says read below for a description of the copyright violation and then you go down there and there's just a link to the episode. So, so I, if I apparently if I do the Windows Action show I'm going to get DMCA takedowns. So I got to watch out. All right, Swadden writes in with our first feedback this week. We got a couple of follow-up items from last week's episode. He says I'm writing after 2 years. I must thank Coder Radio for for suggesting the PostgreSQL SQL database. A few months back, me and some friends finished the project successfully, but we made less than zero profit thanks to the system administrator and bad planning. Turns out business is hard. I love the current relaxed format of the show, by the way. I hope Quota Radio 2.0 will keep the same format for at least one of the four episodes in a month. If possible, please add maybe some enterprise application topics to the show. That TechCrunch article you guys talked about last week went over my head. To my eyes, their Venn diagram is not matching with the article. Clearly, there is an intersection among the sites, so lots of developers are full-stack developers with knowledge on all seven technologies of many of the practical-stack developers. There are many people, like me, who work as third-party functional or technical consultants for enterprise resource planning applications. The vendors are asking clients to move to cloud versions of the application and are also providing a few months of free service to try it out with free data conversion from the premise servers to the cloud servers. It's a warning bell for many DBAs, but do you think there is a future for functional and technical consultants in these cloud applications? Thank you very much, and thanks for the great shows. Yes, yeah, so <clears throat> to, to maybe ask that in another, in another way. If your specialty has always been going in and assessing a place to set up and recommending a good implementation and a solution to them, and maybe maybe even developing the bits that connect those systems together to help them talk, isn't that business opportunity essentially going to be taken away when everybody's going to a cloud? Because it's really, it's give us your data turnkey solution. There's no integration to be done, right? Yeah, right. So, so some of it's gonna, is going to go away, but then you're going to also have like you know cloud optimizations, right? Like there's optimizations you can do for your ASP app for Azure, just for example. I don't. Um, uh, so it kind of shifts, like the. the- right. I don't think the jobs are eliminated. I think they're shifted. I mean, think about this. Right now, 
you know, right now the hotness is what, um, what are the DevOps, right? Which is basically a way to not have <laughs> in-house IT. Yeah, yeah. Alan hates that too, by the way. I've, I've gotten that. Right. From, yeah. Right. <clears throat> I mean, this, this, all this stuff has kind of cycled, I think. Um, you know, you remember just way back in, let's say, the 90s, folks were trying to make developers and designers the same person. Yeah. Then that swung all the way back. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. We were trying to do full stack developers, and though I, I think TechCrunch is wrong, it hasn't swung swung quite as far back as they would have you think. Yeah. It's certainly swung back, right? It, it's not. You know, you, you're generally not hiring one individual dude to do your project, or if you are, you're you're kind of crazy. Or that if you hire that dude, a lot of times behind the scenes, he's contracting out some of the bits to other people. Right. Like there's a lot. There's a lot of things like that. Or. You know, it's a case where you're extremely budget conscious and that dude happens to be a college student. And uh, I want to say right here that I have a bad habit of using dude as a uh, as a um, non uh, gender term. Like I call my wife, dude. So just as a disclaimer, I call my wife, dude. So, yeah, I call my wife Senator Broseph Lieberman. I also have called her bro. I do sometimes like because, you know, it's like uh, uh, there's just there's like bro, bro. And you know what, you know what my, speaking totally off the tangent, you know what my wife said to me the other night? Get off my sack. Mm. <laughs> so she's taking that too, but I think it's fine. It's fine. So yeah, I, I do, I think I like the way, you know what? I thought you were going to be a grumpy man today, but that's kind of an optimistic outlook. Essentially, the number, the total number of jobs probably isn't going away. The specialties required to plug into those jobs are changing. But that is, that is the nature of the technology field. I mean, that's why a lot of us get into it. Right. So. It's, uh, and there goes my chair. No, it's, I mean, having said that, there certainly are going to be fewer, you know, integration DBA type folks in general. Um, but I think, you know, ORMs had a lot more to do with that than, than the cloud. Yeah. Um, all right, Count Zero writes in with some uh, more discussion on the uh, web app versus native. And I was mm-hmm. kind of tailoring off on this, but then he had some good points, so I thought we'd bring him up. And uh, and every time we talk about this, I, I kind of have evolved my standpoint to every episode, so it's kind of been an interesting process for me. So here, here's what he writes. Let me, uh, you know what I'm going to do? You know, I'm going I'm to do a little bit. Of, I'm going to move my web browser up, and there it is. So he says, hey, Chris and Michael, I just want to make, uh, make a point about the discussion of web apps versus being native. Being in business in the U.K., ah, and this is one of the reasons I wanted to get Count Zero's point here is because we kind of had a – I didn't even think of a – that there might be a non-U.S. take on HTML5 versus native. Like, but it turns out uh, in the U.K. they have a different perspective on this. He says, I'm, a, I'm obliged under the terms of data protection laws to guarantee that my customers – to them that all of their data will remain private and confiden- confidential. The fact is that I would be unable to give these assurances if their data is being stored on some cloud server often in an unspecified location. So I choose to only run native applications where I have full control of the file system from start to finish. This way, I always know where the data is and how many copies exist and so on. So it's interesting. When he's, when he's on the line for responsibility of the security, he opts to go with the file system. He says, data privacy is a massive concern for many people here, especially in a post-Snowden world. And I regularly get asked about this by my clients with regard to their data security. The reputation of my business is very closely linked to my client confidentiality. So I find myself in the position where I never use web applications. And frankly, I don't need to. There are more than enough native software products that do the job perfectly well, and in certain cases, the machines running them are not connected to the Internet at all. In fact, in the case of a standalone machine, it's not even connected to a local LAN for one of his purposes. There is a place for web-based software, 
but not for any of my devices. That's for sure. Count zero. Wow, what do you yeah, think of that? You know, I was thinking a lot about this. I think one of the reasons, and it's funny because between when we first started talking about this and now I've swung all the way to the other side of, you know, screw it, using Office, forget about Google Apps, right? Because, um, Chris, did you know people in enterprise really don't like it when your document's not formatted the same way? Yeah, right. or like what, what your story last week about your Google Apps email yeah, outage? that Jeez. was the catalyst. Yeah. But I think what was perhaps pushing me more towards the web app side was simply the high cost of SSDs and my unwillingness to not use an SSD, right? So, you know, you've only got 256 gigs of storage on your main machine. and uh, That's interesting. That's why you start, you start thinking about every native app you install. This is why I use Dropbox still after all these days because uh, I still prefer their selective sync implementation Right. And my SSD drives, you know, I'm really, I'm really selective about what I load on there. This is an interesting point I never even thought about because I rely on Google Docs so heavily. I'm saving space with LibreOffice. Right. Well, it's not even that. It's right. Like Microsoft Office is actually fairly beefy, particularly on Mac, right? Yeah. So is Libre. I mean, I think it's like 400 megabytes all installed. Yeah. Oh, Office is a couple gigs, dude. <laughs> oh man. Um, yeah, I'm trying. I'm trying to see how big's the folder here because you have it. Inst- yeah, I never even <laughs> thought about like the fact that. Google Docs is saving me hard drive space 1. in that 3, sense. 1.31 gigs. 1.31 gigs for a word processor and spreadsheets, probably what you use it for the most, right? Do you use Outlook or anything like that? PowerPoint. Oh, PowerPoint, sure, yeah. yeah. You know, there's there, storage space is at a premium. In fact, my SSD is almost completely full, and the performance on this machine has pretty much gone to crap. So, yeah, I have 31 gigs free on this machine. Yeah. Yeah, uh, this is my constant problem, too. So there is definitely that aspect to it. Uh, And I also, uh, I have to be rational, and I have to acknowledge that my focus isn't necessarily on IT security anymore. And it is very possible that the people running these cloud services are more qualified to keep them secure than I am. Now, uh, it's also just as possible, and a lot of times we have seen it, that they'll be negligent in some really embarrassing way, which causes a breach. The other thing that cloud services inherently have for them being a service used by many people is by their very nature, they are a larger target than just my little free NAS boxes here at JB1, right? So just by – so it's it's an interesting conundrum. Like I, I don't know if I'm actually any more qualified these days to keep my data more secure than, say, Dropbox is. But at the same time, I almost am afforded more insecurity because I'm so much more obscure, it, and it's it's not it's not like a good safe rule, but there's not as I mean, it's true. There's not as many people knocking on my door than there are Dropbox's door. Now it now if I don't keep my security up, it doesn't take very many people to knock on the door. So it's not like it's a free pass, but it's a different level of um, concern. Basically, uh, yeah, and and continued risk. Like uh, when when I put my data up in Dropbox, like if I had like some really great confidential information, I don't I don't think I would because. Uh, it's it, up there. It's a sort of a persistent risk. I don't know. It's an interesting idea, and I could see how if he's on the line for for providing security. Although you could also see how somebody would use a cloud service. Uh, see, Count Zero is interpreting this as well. If the government requires that I protect my customer data at all cost, then the only way I can do that is by local storage. However, you could also see a company that comes along and says, well, we're going to defer that responsibility by getting in a really complicated agreement contract with a cloud storage provider who's willing to say, yes, we are compliant with the law, and then that defers the blame to them. And if anything ever happens, they're the ones that take the heat, and we don't take. So you could see how some companies would respond to this by actually going with cloud storage. 
Right. I know. Yeah, it's, it's I a complicated. I, I, it's all complicated, and it's all all right. Moving on. Crazy. Moving on. Uh, I know. I don't. Uh, I. I just. Uh, I look at that and I think to myself, uh, I feel like we're a long way away from solving this particular problem. Okay, yeah. so we got a couple more emails uh, to get to. Hmm. In fact, this next one's kind of along the same line. So let's do this one and then we'll stop and take our first break. Uh, so uh, Matthew writes in and says, Hello, guys. I know Chris has been moving his data to his own servers under his control. But if you thought about changing the client-server relationship with regards to your or your client's data, for instance... With HTML5 and modern browsers, why do we still think and work in having the server serve our data back to us, as in like how Facebook and the like do it, rather than, say, giving us an interface to present our data to them under our control? To put what I'm trying to say in another way, why are we pouring our data into prescribed pipelines in a limited way that we don't control, rather than cobbling together our own pipelines together from tools across the Internet in order to do something interesting with our data? I refuse to think it's laziness. We are, after all, a species of toolmakers, aren't we? Keep up the great broadcasting, Matthew. Yeah, and he, so, so, that, so that has a really simple answer. He links Someone us, have to pay for that. He links us to unhosted. Well, so I think what he's talking like is, like, you, you today, using HTML5 local storage and things like that, right. you could build a Facebook where all of the data about the user is local in their web browser, and it isn't even processed until they go to the website. But think about that from a practical standpoint, right? You'd have to, A, upload the data and analyze it, and then generate the page, which that's going to be slow for a lot of reasons. B, uh, how does that work when somebody's coming to browse your page when you're offline and the data store is not available? So there'd have to be some sort of online storage, so that way somebody could at least check your profile when your web browser wasn't open. So there's a lot of questions in that. But he links us to unhosted.org builds itself as freedom from Web 2.0's monopoly platforms. It's a serverless, client-side, or static web apps. Unhosted web pages do not send your data to their server. You connect to your own server at runtime, and your data stays within the browser. And there's a whole page about it he linked to us. So if this is a topic out there that interests the audience, I'm going to point you to unhosted.org. It's something I'm going to read about more after the show. But I think we've that's probably right there a stake in the topic, I think. Uh, if you have any more input, though, you can always send it to CoderRadio at JupiterBroadcasting.com. But I would say, for those of you that want to dig in more, unhosted.org. And then we'll continue to talk about it as, you know, things actually develop there. Because uh, there is actually, surprisingly, just recently, some decent movement around HTML5 stuff. Like, HTML5 is like mm-hmm. a real grown-up boy now, so there's that. And uh, WebRTC is actually just, it looks like it's not official yet, but it looks like they're actually going to uh, agree on standardized codecs for WebRTC, so that's going to start getting a nice pickup, which is going to be great. There's a lot of apps you can build around that, and it's going to be great for smartphones, too. So I'm excited. I like all of that. I'll tell you something else I'm excited about. In fact, I'm really excited about it. I logged in. Oh, I should have, lo- I should have brought my password with me and show you the, uh, the course I just started. So I was playing around with Linux Academy this weekend just to kind of re- show myself some of the new stuff they've added because I-, I get notes about some of the things they add all the time, and I'm just constantly blown away. They even have a course about how to use Linux Academy. It's totally genius. So linuxacademy.com slash coders. Go there and save some money on your tuition, and they're adding stuff all of the time, seriously. It's super neat, and they've got a really good system. It's it's built by people that truly, honestly know the stuff. It's it's their world. They, they teamed up with friends that are educators. They came together and built something that's incredible. And 
unlike a lot of the other online education services that generalize and sort of spread out and do all kinds of topics where they get stale and old, these are topics that they know through to through. The educators are there. They're on staff. They know these topics. They update them throughout time. And that's why your subscription continues to pay off. Linuxacademy.com slash coders is where I want you to go and go check it out. It's a great place to start. If you're getting to that uh, there uh, DevOps, like Mr. Dominic was talking, uh, this is an incredible resource for you. You're going to be able to get up and going on a lot of the management systems. They're adding topics all the time for AWS and OpenStack. If you're struggling with backups, if you're struggling with database management, the LAMP stack, Apache, Android development, all of these things they've got topics on. OpenStack has really been something they've spent a lot of time in this year, and I think it's, it's worth checking out now so that way you're not hit flat-footed. And it's also a great way to keep your skills current. But they have a whole range of things I'd like you to check out. So go over to linuxacademy.com right now. One of the neat things they'll do is they will have a server standing by. And when your courseware, when your lab work gets to that point, they'll automatically spin up that server in the background and connect it. And they've just recently improved that platform too. You get public IP addresses. You can assign DNS to that. You get user logins. It's a true real-world lab experience where you can even collaborate with people, which is also where their group accounts coming really handy. Uh, both Mr. Dominic and I have gotten group accounts for our little business, and it's great because you can just send it over to somebody, and if they have some questions, you can walk them through that. Or if you want to uh, brush up your skills on a particular scripting language, it's a great opportunity to do that. Uh, so I would go over to linuxacademy.com slash coders right now, walk them through it, and see what you can learn, see what you can pick up. Uh, they just released the first part of their brand new Puppet course. Brand new material, all about Puppet. If you've got even more than a few servers, a few VPSs, you might want to consider Puppet. It will make your life more manageable, it will make things more consistent, and it'll help you stay more secure. And you can avoid, like what we were talking about earlier, where you get out of date and your security is not so good. Puppet is a great configuration management system. And you can go over to linuxacademy.com slash coders and learn all about it. It's a great service, linuxacademy.com slash coders. And a huge thank you, Linux Academy, for sponsoring the Coda Radio Program. All right, we'll move on now. We're going to shift gears in the emails. We've got a whole bunch of other stuff to talk about. Uh, Caleb writes in. He even hit me up on Twitter to make sure. Chris, I want to make sure you saw my email. Well, uh, he actually had a really great email, so I'm glad he did. He says, uh, hello, guys. Insert generic love the show comment here. Okay, I will. Uh, he says, uh, I often frequent TechSnap, Coda Radio, and the Unfiltered Show. So here's his story. And this Man, when I read Caleb's email, he, if he would have left out the first part right here, I would have assumed he's a podcaster because, man, he's feeling my pain. He says, I'm a fellow podcaster, and despite our massive website, video streams that also run off Scale Engine, and various audio streams, one of the most popular ways to listen to our content is our Android and iOS apps, which, sadly, is also our most neglected feature. Yes, hello, I know exactly how you feel. Our app is just as base, is a base, I mean, I only even have an app because our audience is awesome enough to make them for us. <laughs> like, talk about how I, yeah. He says, in fact, many builds of Android don't even work with our app since some manufacturers messed with HTML5 audio or worse, don't include it all. Yeah, and uh, don't even get me started on live streaming video, right, Caleb? He says, I'm not much of a programmer, and my friend of mine helped me to throw the apps together in a few days. We never knew how high the demand would actually be. He did a fantastic job for what it was at the time, but it's time to move on and invest in a real product, I believe. Here's my actual question. So now he's established the problem, so that way he and I could have a bro moment. He says, is there any way 
for me to find someone to make an app for us? Is there a specific way? Is there a form or a website where you can shop for programmers or yes, maybe pay for their yes. time? In Let addition, me direct you. How, Let much, me direct you. how much money should I expect to pay? What's the right amount? I'd assume more money means higher quality, of course, but I'm just not sure what I should be looking for, basically. Is there a market or a ecosystem? Maybe he means like a sort of like a 99designs type site for finding people to develop apps for you. Thanks so much, Caleb. Well, uh, you know what? I have this great site he can go to. Oh, okay. Lay it on me. Go to fingertip.technology. Wait, I'm sorry. That's complicated. What is that? Fingertip.technology. Technology. Hmm. And if you're from the 90s, you can also go to fingertiptech.com. Hmm, technology at your fingertips. Yeah, well, this was like a place that would develop applications for me. Yeah, and you can even email sales at fingertiptech.com. Sales at fingertip. Hold on. Sales at fingertip. Sales. At fingertiptech.com. Okay. And if you say Angela sent you, there's actually a very significant Thanksgiving <laughs> discount. However, if you say Chris sent you or Michael sent you, we actually charge double. <laughs> uh, all right. So uh, is there like a 99designs market exchange place for developers? Is that a thing? That seems like maybe it would be a bad thing, to be honest. Not really. Uh, so, yeah, it's very interesting, right? Cause, so I bought like design work offline or online, as it were. I've never found that to be great. <laughs> I've always found it to be kind of hit or miss. And I've heard from designers that it it uh, sort of drives down the market price for their work. Yeah, I mean, I was I did work with one designer from Ninety Nine Designs a couple of years ago, and I I got the feeling that my Slack notifications all went off because <laughs> people are listening to the show. Yeah. <laughs> um, that he was not getting a reasonable cut of what the actual sale was. Mm. And I got this feeling because things were constantly late, and I, I got the impression that I was like the low-end fire sale client, right? Right, yeah. So he I threw up, his hat in the ring because he had a little extra time. And Yeah, I ended up trying to basically, this is against their terms of service, go around the system and just work with them directly as the a normal client. And, and I would suggest everybody do that. Because <laughs> no, I mean, whenever you find someone through one of those types of websites, you're necessarily more expensive to them in terms of cost to acquire mm-hmm, mm-hmm, than mm-hmm. any customer they got through traditional networking or traditional sales. That's very true. So they're going to be less motivated. Yeah. yeah so what that means is, you, one, they, they're going to do one of two things, right? They're going to charge you more to make up the loss because some of these sites, at least for designers, I've been told, are percentages, not just like a straight fee. It's a percentage of the sale. So just think pure economics, right? If, if you're going to charge me $500 to do a logo, whatever, and the site's taking 20%, that's huge. Right? So you might charge me, if I'm from the site, $700 or, or whatever it is. Um, or the alternative to that is instead of charging you more, the designer in this case might decide to just kind of put you at the bottom of the list, Right. Because you're also this amorphous, somewhat mm-hmm. anonymous customer. Mm-hmm. Who, Just behind some login screen. Right. Who they're not really going to get referrals from or anything right. like that. Right, 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 so, right. That's a big one, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, and, and we, I have tried to use some of these sites as developer. It's kind of the same idea. You don't have the type of access you would need to the customer. Um, or at least I should say the type of access I'm used to for dealing, Sure. Yeah. again, locally. Now, if you're off-seas or, I mean, offshore or overseas and you're working you know, across country borders, maybe you wouldn't have so much access to your customer anyway. How does he know about price, though? Like, because uh, isn't that going to depend on where he hires the person from and the amount of work? Like, he's got to maybe come up with a good scope of work to even begin to have an idea what the price could be, right? It depends, right? So a lot of 
many dev, dev shops do this very differently. What we will do is we will work with you. I'll just give you our process. We'll work with you on a, um, you know, a scope of work, and we'll give you a flat price. Some places will work with you on a scope of work and give you an estimate, which is sometimes a recipe for disaster. Um, generally speaking, there's ways to lower the price, right? You could use hybrid solutions. You could go with an HTML5 solution or, let's say, a Xamarin solution to get a cheaper price. Um, it all depends on what you want. Yeah, I mean, and for that, thing, you, when, you th- you know, when, when you start thinking about that kind of stuff, I start thinking, well, what's my audience? audience expect right Do are they technologically savvy are they going to yeah. expect native platform applications it depends right so certainly if you're uh, you know you're aiming at other tech people i probably wouldn't try to pass off an html5 solution um xamarin can be okay Xamarin is very good for B2B apps or general consumer what, apps. what about when you know you're really dependent on the operating system's media support or, or maybe that's part of the problem, right? Because both in his case and my case, it's a lot of audio streams and video streams. Sure. So on the HTML5 side, you're going to have some performance issues or you're going to have to make – rather, you're going to make more compromises. Uh, on the Xamarin – so remember, Xamarin is two products, right? Mm. There's Xamarin Forms and there's what I call Xamarin Classic. Xamarin Classic is just a C-sharp wrapper around the native API. Mm. So you're generally going to be okay there. Like, for instance, RDO is written in Xamarin Classic, right? So if that's what you want, you could go that way. Um, again, I mean, if you really want to, like, tie into iCloud or tie into, you know, the most cutting-edge native features on either Android or iOS, you're going to need to go native. But if you want to go two platforms, that gets costly. Yeah. yeah. So I usually recommend – I mean, again, we – do a lot of B2B enterprise work. Mm. Native is usually not the right answer. Mm. Only because you're, you know, frankly, you don't care how pretty the HR app is, right? It just needs to be usable, have a decent UX, and, and that's it. Um, but Caleb, there's a Thanksgiving Day sale. Hey, oh, Thanksgiving Day sale, fingertip.technology. Uh, right. Sales at fingertiptech.com. Remember, use the promo code Angela. Do not use Chris. <laughs> I agree. Uh, all right. So now uh, moving on to our next email. And that was a great question, Caleb, and I'd love to know how that turns out for you. And uh, I'll, I, I guess I'll just also say as a side, uh, I kind of feel like something similar happened. Um, and I also feel like a lot of it, a lot of times it's, it's, you got to make your bets, like which platforms do you jump on and things like that. Uh, so that for a while, for example, there was a push to do Boxy. You know, people wanted a Boxy app. And we even had one developed, and then sure. the Boxy people rejected it because it looked like every other Boxy app because it used the template they'd put out. Right. Uh, and then, of course, Boxy goes away. So I'm well, kind of glad we didn't chase that one too hard. It's really hard when betting on platforms. I mean, last year we had a lot of customers uh, interested in Surface apps, Windows 8 apps, Windows RT apps. And I would say 85% of those projects, and when I'm guessing, I think it's more like a 90, but we'll say 85 got canceled not because they were unhappy with the work but because they just decided that not you know, the surface enough. did not take off because they were doing it before right they were trying to be like first to market kind of deal yeah i'm sorry rather a year and a half ago two years ago it just didn't take off no so that's it, putting it nicely yeah. well actually i wonder now if it's actually starting to do better than it used to i wonder if now it's actually starting to take well, off a little the bit. problem is the ones that are taking off though are the i386 I ones right the intel ones yeah oh, so you don't sure, yeah. really need to do an rt app if you don't right Right, and especially with Windows, with Windows 10 coming. I mean, so that as a developer, RT is a much, much, much better idea. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's it's uh, it's one of those things where uh, I think Microsoft has sort of hit its stride with the Surface with the Surface Three. 
Absolutely. Um, I, there's, I've, and the only reason I say it is because I've been hearing from more people in our audience that have one. And to me, that's kind of a big – that's the biggest sign right there out of all of them is when people in the Jupiter Broadcasting audience are starting to buy them, uh, that usually is a good sign that they're, they're at least uh, – a lot of times uh, I can see that as an early trend they're, you know, because they're usually a little, little bit ahead of the curve. So if they're starting to buy them, then I think it's starting to get a little bit better. You're going to see more and more people starting to buy them, I think. Yeah, I think you are. But it was going to be the X86 one for sure. It, it, no, well, they don't even have a Surface 3 for the uh, no, RT. No, no, And I think that's the most telling sign of all. They haven't even bothered. Yep, 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 yep. All right, Mr. Dominic. Uh, well, we got an email in. Uh, this is just such an awesome, awesome email. Did I already close it? I probably already did. No, but here it is. Uh, it came in from James, and he says, uh, Hey, Chris and Mike, I want to send a quick thank you for recommending DigitalOcean. I had picked up the coupon code back in March, but I didn't have the need for it at the time. Recently, I've begun playing an AI coding challenge called Vendidium. I don't think that's how you say it. Where players battle each other over control for gold mines using programming languages of their choice. One of the harder parts about the challenge is that you only have one second to respond with a move. My bot was doing well, but I was frequently getting kicked from the matches due to timeouts. I finally figured out that the server for the game is based all the way over in France. I used my DigitalOcean credits to get a $5 a month droplet in Amsterdam. Problem solved. Now my timeouts are my own fault for writing slow code and not latency issues between the U.S. and France. I've risen to the front page of leaderboards, and I'm extremely happy with the solution DigitalOcean was able to provide. He even included his profile if you're a player. Uh, he's at the he's on the top charts now, thanks to DigitalOcean. So let me thank our next sponsor. That's DigitalOcean. Go over to DigitalOcean.com right now and arm yourself with the knowledge of our promo code because this is going to save you some money. And I want to tell you a little bit about DigitalOcean. So it's Coder November. Remember that code, Coder November, as we go on. Because once I tell you about DigitalOcean, you're going to smack yourself if you don't take advantage of it. It's that awesome. In fact, why don't you just smack yourself right now? Don't, don't smack yourself. So what is DigitalOcean? It's a simple cloud hosting provider dedicated to offering the most intuitive and easy way to spin up a cloud server. And they mean it. D- users can... Uh, you won't even believe this. You have to watch the faux show to see the proof. You can probably get a droplet spun up in about 55 seconds or so. That's your, that's your safe bet. I got an email in the faux show last night. Dude got his droplet sp- spun up. Nine seconds. Nine seconds. And pricing plans start only $5 per month for 512 megabytes of RAM. A 20 gigabyte SSD, one CPU, and a terabyte of excellent transfer. DigitalOcean has data center locations in New York, San Francisco, Singapore, and Amsterdam, like our buddy James. And, of course, a brand new one in London. But it's really that interface. It's so simple. And the control panel is m- it's just massively intuitive. It's crazy great. It's amazing. And power users can replicate it on a larger scale with DigitalOcean straightforward API. Look, I could do a weekly podcast just on DigitalOcean's dashboard. Like, I would start on every single page, and I would do a series of podcasts on every aspect. It's amazing from a technical standpoint. It's all HTML5, even console access. You get BIOS-level access, HTML5. It's all click, point, done, boom, instantaneously fast, works across all of your devices, and what it's doing underneath, taking advantage of Docker images and deployments to KVM and all of this creation of the virtual machine, the snapshot management, the DNS management. It's so slick. It is so slick. And it's really the benchmark. And you can get all of this for $5 a month. And if you use our promo code, Coder November, you'll get that $10 credit. Coder November, you'll get that $10 credit over at DigitalOcean.com. Try them out. And don't forget, you can also write a tutorial. If you know about something, 
and you know how to get it working on a DigitalOcean droplet, write them up a tutorial and they might pay you for it, up to $200. And if you've got some writing skills, they're even hiring a content editor for all of the tutorials they're getting in from their community. So not only does DigitalOcean have some of the best infrastructure, they've got SSDs throughout the entire thing built on top of Linux and KVM, and now they've got one of the best community resources with tutorials they're willing to pay for to make sure the quality is where they need it to be. And they're investing in editorial staff to make sure these things are easy to follow and easy to read. DigitalOcean.com. Promo code CODERNOVEMBER. And a big thank you to DigitalOcean for sponsoring the Coder Radio program. Okay, so uh, this next email is going to get us into our big topic, I think. Uh, Sergey writes in. I'm guessing that's how you say it. Hey, guys, has... Hell just frozen over. Uh, hello, Chris and Mike. I woke up this morning, and while taking my morning dump, I was reading the IT news and saw an article over on Extreme Tech about Microsoft open sourcing a lot of its technologies around .NET. Desktop applications for Linux, Mac, all of it. It's coming. Also, they're releasing a full free version of Visual Studio 2013 called the Community Edition. What? And man, wouldn't I, what wouldn't I give for Visual Studio for Linux? I find Visual Studio to be the best IDE, bar none. So, where do you think this is going? And why would Microsoft do this? Um, yeah, so the news is Microsoft is open sourcing components of .NET. It really uh, breaks down, I believe, and please, Dominic, uh, Mr. Dominic, correct me if I'm wrong, but my understanding is essentially what we are getting are three major components that are being open source, the .NET framework libraries, the .NET core mm-hmm. framework libraries, yep. and I don't, ha- I don't know how you pronounce the VM that they're open sourcing. Uh, the Rehada VM? Do you know how you pronounce I it? I don't know how to say it either. Yeah. It's, it's one of those words that I've read a thousand times and never actually had to say. So the .NET cl- class framework libraries, these are the class libraries that power the .NET frameworks as it ships on Windows. The ones that Mono, for example, has historically implemented as uh, open source. .NET Core is new. It's a redesigned version of .NET that is based on a simplified version of the class libraries, as well as designed, designed to allow .NET to be incorporated into applications. So right. we have a few components are already up on GitHub. They're not using their system. They're using GitHub. Uh, the Mono Project has already said they're planning to bring in some of these components to .NET. Uh, they seem, Miguel, your buddy, seems to be pretty excited about all of this. Uh, I've had massive excitement in the audience. So what am I missing? Why am I not excited? You seem excited about this, right? Oh, I'm extremely excited about this. Tell me so about I, that. I agree with the writer, that, in, and ladies and gentlemen, because we're politically correct now, please get your flamethrowers ready. I will wait. You good? Excellent. Hold on. Let me uh, hold on, hold on, just see. charge those bad boys. Yeah, hold on. Okay, here we go. Man. Okay, I'm ready. So you have Eclipse. It's like when you're eclipse is like when you're walking on the sidewalk and you see this great dame squat down and take a shit right there. <laughs> That's eclipse. That's eclipse. And you keep walking and you end up at a uh, I don't know a Bobby's Burger Palace and the Visual Studio is like a double bacon cheeseburger with just the excellent crunchy lettuce and fries. Mm. You see the difference? Mm. Dog shit, burger. Yeah, that, I would way rather eat a burger. Right. IntelliJ. Yeah, it's like a lukewarm tomato soup thing. Okay, okay. Campbell's soup. Not as fulfilling as a burger, but if I'm starving, I could get by. I would survive. So I'm a huge Visual Studio fan because it just doesn't crash on me. Okay, (laughs) Mike, you're you're stuck on an island for the rest of your life, and you can only bring Visual Studio or Xcode. That's like Sophie's Choice. Uh, Ugh. 
I have to say Visual Studio because on this island, I'm going to need both front end and back end development. <laughs> okay. And Xcode is just like, what's a server? Huh? Yeah, okay. <laughs> Xcode is like, yeah, dude, That's true. you can, That's you can true. do a Mac app. But once you start talking about networking, mm-hmm. it's time to, to mm-hmm. go lay down and cry. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay, that's fair. Uh, so if you're developing something in Visual Studio that requires Visual Studio, you're probably pretty happy with your setup. Now, see, this is a, this is I don't, I'm, it's funny you're talking about Visual Studio because this is the least open aspect. They gave the 2013 version away for free, a community edition that is limited, and then they'll okay. Listen, if you, if you're like an independent developer or a small company and you're paying for Visual Studio, you're you're doing something horribly wrong. Mm. They have like eight ways to get it for free, and one of them is just like calling them or emailing their BizBar program saying, yeah, well, I'm a Mac developer. I'm interested in Microsoft stuff, but but I don't want to pay anything. I did that about five years ago. Yeah, and if you're a student oh. and all that kind of stuff, too, it's really hey, You don't even to need do. to be a student. You could be straight up, I'm, I'm a commercial developer. I do this for profit. Yeah, but you know, I'm mildly. And, so and you're making, time, but you're making my point for me. Why is this a big deal now that Visual Studio is free? It this hasn't is a been... huge deal. This is I'm waking up to the, Microsoft to their biggest advantage with developers is that their tools are awesome, and not that all other development tools suck, but you know, many of the common ones do. Right, Xcode is a lot better than it used to be. Mm. Still pretty pretty rudimentary as an IDE, right? Um, it's just a lot more stable than it used to be, which is nice. Eclipse is this Greek Hydra monster that's out of control. Uh, IntelliJ is actually pretty good. I do, I do, but but again, it's it's very Java-y and it doesn't feel do quite you, right. Do you think we're going to see Visual Studio go cross-platform? Absolutely not. The investment. I mean, I think we're more likely to see a web-based version. Getting back to our because mm. uh, they already have it, right? Mm-hmm. If you're using Azure, they mm-hmm. have Visual Studio Online. It's right. Not great. Right. It's right. Yep. Yep. But it's it's already a thing. Right. The the cost to do a native Visual Studio for even OS 10, right? Because so, that. Let's be honest, they're not going to do an Ubuntu Visual Studio. It's just not going to happen. So Linux platform you think about is Mac OS X. Well, why wouldn't they just let the Xamarin guys invest all that money in Xamarin Studio and maybe pitch them a module here and there? Sure. Which kind of seems like what happened, right? Because there's a thing called the Xamarin Build Host that ties right into Visual Studio. So I don't think they need to do that. Um I guess so. Here's where here's where I, here's where I have some confusion. Sure. Um, so it makes the tools more accessible. That seems like a good thing. Uh, what is so? I guess where where my all my questions at seem like they're unanswer- unanswerable at this point. Like Microsoft has said they are prepared to make um, a big commitment to this, but I don't really know what that means for Microsoft. I'm a little skeptical of that, and so I'm. What I'm so, curious so about is, huge, like, right? so, so, yeah, no, this is, is this, is this like, not, this isn't, this isn't like a, a dump and then slowly spin down kind of thing. No, this is kind of, by open sourcing the, basically the development tools, right? And, and I don't just mean the ID. I know we focus on the ID because that's not open source. There's a free version that's not open source. But let's say ASP.NET, you could eventually do it fully open source, right? That's huge because I've literally had customers because we do offer Rails or ASP. I say Rails because they, they're not sure what would happen with the proprietary system. Maybe Microsoft decides that they want a license fee. I mean, that's never, you know, it's theoretically possible, right? But it has never happened. So the, it, it being open source is almost a form of an insurance policy. Well, 
Yeah, I mean, it's it's one less negative against it, right? Yeah. But the the bigger issue isn't that it's, I mean, open source is great, but, you know, I love me some proprietary software. The issue is now that it's going to be able to run natively on Linux servers. That is the thing. Forget about open source, and weirdly enough, it'll run on Mac. But Do I you think like eventually that. Mono is made irrelevant? I think Mono just gets sucked into this, and I think it's more of a merger than a kill, right? Okay. Um, you know, Mono is already kind of irrelevant because Xamarin's kind of. I mean, th- that's a whole weird relationship, right? Xamarin and Mono. Yeah. So really, Xamarin needs Mono, but all the forward progress in Mono is basically Xamarin. Um, I find it. I find it fascinating that uh, it was sort of. Um, I, th- I think maybe there's something to parse in this. It's sort of telling that they did this on GitHub, too. Like, it's sort of Microsoft's... It, it, you know, they said it, even. They said, the reason we're doing this on GitHub is we're going to where the audience is. Right. It's, um, it's, it's we surrender. They're, they understand right. that they're not going to bend, like, the worldwide development community to their will. Right. You know, we'll go where you are. Just please use our tools. And, and, and if you, know you walk... But if you walk that back, that is, at its core, an admission that they don't have the hold over developers that they used to have. No, because they don't have the platforms right. people need to target, right? Right. So, so their selling point of .NET is basically it is an extremely convenient and extremely well-designed development environment, right? development platform, so to speak. But well, yeah. When you were tied to Microsoft servers, uh, Microsoft databases, now I know you can run Postgres and ASP.NET, but you know all those things are like little kludges, right? They're little ways around it. Now that they're actually embracing that sort of thing more officially, you, I mean, first of all, you're not going to convert a bunch of Rails developers to be .NET developers overnight, or at all, right? This is more for the, you know, the startups of today, the young companies of today that would normally just not look at .NET, and now it's much more viable. That's true. Yeah, it definitely does lower that barrier of entry. Uh, I mean, and- if, you, if you were to start a dev shop today, um, or if you were to start a dev shop a year ago and you didn't know that you could get all the Microsoft stuff for free by writing an email, right? You obviously would be unable to, without some sort of startup capital, start a Microsoft shop. Because you, unless you want to use like Visual Studio crappy edition, right? But you basically need professional edition to do anything worth the time. So, yes, I see what you're saying. It, it definitely, for the startups and, and whatnot, makes their tools more accessible. I, I guess I feel like the same these same arguments. Uh, if we replace the word Microsoft with Google, here's how the conversation I think would be going. Uh, this is Google once again abusing the term "open" to market to the neckbeards to get them excited to go lock themselves up to the Google train. Uh, and really, what Google could care less about open source. It's really about multi-tiered marketing where you market to people directly, you market to the neckbeards with this kind of stuff, and then you get more developers on your platform and eventually you lock them into your cloud services and things like that and your whatnots. So it, why... Yeah, that's exactly I, I, what it's about. <laughs> well, isn't that, isn't that essentially what Microsoft is doing here? Is, uh, is they've realized, they've watched Google... Uh, gain a ton of developer interest over Android by uh, utilizing open source in some ways that are beneficial to the development process for them. And this is sort of like they're doing a Google, but they're doing a more mature, better pulled-off version of it. So I'm not sure that they're really looking for people to help them co-develop, right? Because Google always has this weird thing of using the community's work and then making a commercial a week and a half later. 
I don't think that's really their game. I think their game is the more .NET development you do, even if you know 90% of the people don't host it on Azure, 10% will. Hmm. And that's 10% more than we had yesterday. Ah, so just more, that's totally it, isn't it? Just A bigger pool. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That's a pretty, that's I mean, a, that's honest, a. .NET is much more attractive to us now. Uh, because yeah, yeah. It, there's no longer that stigma of right. the theoretical risk of proprietary. Well, and, at least and, for the back end stuff. And Mono almost kind of had a stigma too. Like it was, um, you know, like if there was something that would go wrong, you'd be like, oh, is it because it's Mono? You know, there was always this sort of like, I don't know, it, it, does, it felt like kind of a knockoff. I don't know. I'm, I'm not using the right terms. But when, when you could say to somebody, yes, this can run on Linux and it's actual legit like .NET Core from Microsoft's uh, GitHub page, that to me seems more legitimate than a, 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 a project that's attempting to re-implement it, right? Yeah, uh, I mean, I, I would walk that back a little bit though, right? So the pieces of .NET that they're open sourcing are the core and mm-hmm. a good portion of the server side mm-hmm. stuff. Your WPFX Mm-hmm. I'm sorry, your WPF apps are simply not part of this. Right. So, and also, if, you, if you've been watching the Mono project, since Xamarin really got its stride, that whole Mono GTK stuff is kind of where it is, right? Mm-hmm. There's been some progress, but mm-hmm. nothing, right. nothing groundbreaking. Yeah. So I, I don't know that this is going to be like a renaissance in desktop Linux software. Oh, I don't think so either. Um, I think that ship has sailed. But I could see some server-side stuff for sure. Um, and I, I, I think when you when you look at it the way you're talking, um, I don't know if I – it's funny. What kind of bugs me is every article pins us on Satya Nadella. Oh, another master stroke by Satya no, Nadella. No, so, so the lawyers have had to have been reviewing this for six months, right? Like, Balmer did this. There's mm-hmm. no way. Well, and I think too, like, uh, maybe – like, so what's interesting about Miguel de Casa is when he writes about uh, the open sourcing of .NET – uh, he doesn't say Microsoft. He says today. I mean, he doesn't in his in his, uh, in his subject line, but in the when he writes, he says today. Scott got here. Announced that Microsoft is open sourcing .NET. He actually talks about the yeah yeah. Was it got here? Guthrie yeah. Yeah, Guthrie. They have uh, yeah. I mean, so it's, it's the head of their developer division. Yeah, right? it, it's the executive in charge. So I think if you attribute something to Sache, maybe it's letting the person that runs .NET have the rope to try this, but I think this is something that they've wanted to do at, in the .NET team. So, yeah, I mean, that's the thing. When I think about Microsoft, like Microsoft tools that I, I actually see as valuable and useful, I think of Office, except on Mac, because it sucks. And .NET, right? Everything else, when I say .NET, I really kind of mean C-sharp, right? All that VB crap, and I have no interest in F-sharp, really, at the moment. This is a different Microsoft than the Microsoft that said open source is a cancer, though. Well, obviously. I mean, that's a pretty big, this is a pretty big change in that regard. But I, I wish I felt like it was for more altruistic need, uh, reasons and not so much oh, for the... Did, uh, did, did you have issue when Borland was selling you developer tools? I don't have a problem with anybody selling anything. Right. So uh, I just want people to be upfront about why they're doing it. It's, it's obvious why they're doing it because they want more things to be yeah. one developed on their platform, and so they can you know get some revenue on mm-hmm. Azure. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense actually. Azure is already a pretty good offering. And if so that's not... that's a, that's that's good long term thinking on Microsoft's part, and more open code is always good, really. Especially, yeah. I mean, you like the MIT license, right? Yeah, I like BSD and MIT. I'm not a big fan of that. Uh, yeah, yeah. I know. Uh, what's that one? I don't know. The BRD one scares me. I get. I went away. Negative in the freedom dimension. I, I don't know what you're talking about. No, I don't. Yeah, yeah. 
Yeah. Uh, all right. Well, uh, so that's a fascinating thing. Any other thoughts on the whole? So uh, I guess my question before you mention any other thoughts, but I guess my last question to you about the whole thing is uh, you kind of you kind of hinted at it, but uh, what does this change for you? Like going forward? Uh, Not much. We were we've been doing a lot of .dot net for yeah. a while. Yeah. I mean, Nothing really changes change though. On the sales side of life. There's probably going to be fewer IT managers who just say, "Oh no, we we don't want proprietary software." So it could make the sale it could make the sales a little easier. Yeah, but here's the thing, right? We're we do both, so we don't necessarily care if they want it in Rails or .NET. Right. <laughs> I mean, we care whatever is right for their situation. I guess but, it'll be interesting to see if you see a change in customer preference. You know, I don't think the biggest thing that drove .NET sales for us was we already had people like, "Oh yeah, we have a C sharp guy in the basement somewhere." So theoretically, he could maintain it later. Um, I don't know if that's good or bad. Yeah, because you know, one of those dark matter developers, right? That you never hear about. That's right. just kind of there. Plugs away. A lot of them are .NET guys. Yeah, they're just they're just hanging around. And before that, they were VB guys. <laughs> so we got more information in the show notes about what's happened. Um, and it's one of these things where I feel like uh, my my opinion on it is really early, and it's one of those where we'll see some some results i think and that's where the judgment can be made i think it's uh i i think it's a different microsoft i think it's more of a microsoft that is um i guess what i'm trying to say is i feel like this is an indication that microsoft is more self-aware than i have given them credit for recently there i think they're more self-aware of their position and their stature and uh and i think they are recognizing it at a time where it's certainly not too late to turn things around. And yeah. that's pretty damn impressive. I, there's a lot of companies that blow that. A lot of com- BlackBerry, hello. Nokia, hello. Right? I mean, we just recently seen some big companies that have blown that. So, in that regard, uh, it's going to keep the game interesting. And I'm impressed from that standpoint, too. So, I'd be curious to hear what the audience thinks about it. I'd also be curious. I know some of you out there don't think it's a good thing because I've heard from a few of you like in drive-by comments. If anybody wants to articulate a negative aspect to this too, I'd be curious just to help sort of round up my thoughts. And also if you've got any like this is going to be a game changer for me or it's a super positive and you didn't even think of X, I'd love to hear those too. So go over to jupiterbroadcasting.com, click the contact link and choose Coda Radio from the drop down or go to codaradio.reddit.com. The nice thing about that is even if we don't get a chance to get it in the show, over on the subreddit, coderadio.reddit.com, the community can still read it and give their thoughts back. Mr. Dominic, is there uh, is there anything else you feel the need to cover in today's episode of Coda Radio? Thanksgiving Day sale on development. Coda Radio exclusive. Use the code Angela. Use the code Angela. So, hey, I'm looking. Uh, let's see. Oh, yeah, we are. We miss out on the uh, the Thanksgiving shenanigans. But, uh, we do. I wonder if uh, we should do a mumble uh, episode soon. I've gotten requests. Let's do it. We should do that. Why don't we do it next week? You want to do the 24th? We should have said something at the beginning the, of the show. Let's do it the 24th, yeah. All right, so join us Monday, the 24th, at uh, noon Pacific, 3 p.m. Eastern. Go to jupiterbroadcasting.com slash calendar to get that in your time zone. And uh, you just all you do is go to jblive.tv, you join the IRC chat room, and they do the bang mumble command. That reads out the mumble server's address, which sometimes changes. And uh, then you can join us, and uh, we'll do some roundtable discussions about topics and whatnot, probably weekly topics and any of the email feedback. So if you've got a topic you'd love to hear a group of people discuss, email at coderadio at jupiterbroadcasting.com. Send that over to us. Mr. Dominic, any uh, Twitter handles or other websites you'd like to send folks through just to check out during the week? 
No, I think that's it. Just at Fingertip Tech on Twitter. That's what I was going to say. That's what I was going to say, at Fingertip Tech on Twitter. That's perfect. You can follow me on Twitter, at Chris LAS. Today I tweeted a picture of my new Dell monitor. That was the first place. I also tweet about shows when they go live, things like that, so it's a good way to sort of get a news feed. And episode releases are often tweeted there as well. Okay, everybody. Well, thank you for tuning this week's episode. Go over to coderadio.reddit.com. Give us your opinions on the .NET stuff and all that. And last but not least, click that contact link. Oh, Jupiter.gift. Go get yourself some Jupiter swag for the holidays. Jupiter.gift. we got an awesome polo over there. All right, everybody. See you back here next week. <laughs>